Welcome to Moonbeaming, a podcast about creativity, magic, tarot, lunar living, and more. I'm your host, Sarah Faith Godestiner, and I am so happy you are here today. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Moonbeaming. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to let everyone know that if you're listening to this in the month of November, that means we are shipping your 2021 Many Moons Lunar Planner. And what that means is if you order it in, I think, the first couple of weeks of November, you'll be able to snag a copy and you will get it in anywhere from three to five weeks. That is because we're doing first come, first serve, and We've got a backlog of planners to ship out, and we're doing it super COVID safe, so it's just going to take a little longer. What is the Many Moons Lunar Planner, you ask? It is a plan, it's like a hybrid of a regular, regular planner with monthly overviews weekly spreads, and a lunar planner with special suggestions for rituals, spells, collaborating with the lunar energies for all of the lunar phases of 2021 with longer pieces written especially for the new and the full moons. It has incredible collaborators like Dr. Jennifer Mulan of Decolonizing Therapy, Alinda Mariposa Segura of Hooray for the Riff Raff, Natalie Miles, who wrote the book You Are Intuitive and does the So You Think You're Intuitive podcast, and 10 other awesome practitioners, acupuncturists, herbalists, astrologers, energy workers, Reiki, practitioners, witches, just all together really awesome people and myself. There are topics such as trauma-informed protection magic. There are pieces about leaning into the hero font archetype of the year, There are writings about redefining success, getting spiritually organized, so much more. I could be here all day, but there's a ton, a ton, a ton of content that is designed and channeled, especially for you, to make the most of 2020, spiritually, personally, and on all realms of healing all realms of discovering your source, your own personal forms of spirituality, having a structure around that, 
that is what it was designed for. So I'm really, really excited for it to be out. And you can click the show notes if you'd like to learn more about it or purchase a copy of your own. Okay, my dears, so I have a confession to make, and that is I wasn't super excited about recording this episode. And the reason why is this is election day, election week. And I know it's going to come with a lot of emotion, anxiety, tension, all of disappointment, all of the things. I am speaking to you from the past. I record these episodes a couple of weeks ahead so that I can give the wonderful editor, Caitlin George Parker, the files so that they can have time with them. And here we are. So I don't know the outcome of this election. I don't know what's going to happen. My sense is it's absolutely going to be less of an election day, more of an election week, quite possibly an election month. I really, 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 fingers crossed, don't hope it's an election rest of the year, but we don't know. This has been a year like none in our collective memory, so we really don't know. What I do know is no matter who wins, and I'm putting the word wins in bunny ears quotation marks because we know the system is rigged. We know that the system is archaic. No matter what happens, we do know that we still have to continue on doing work, eradicating harm and violence, building better futures for ourselves, our loved ones, our communities, and the rest of our nation. Again, bunny ears, if we can call it that. This election is not going to solve police violence overnight. This election is not going to solve the climate crisis overnight, and all of the many other issues that we are facing individually and as a greater collective. So we know that regardless of what happens, we understand on some level that we are being asked to radically change. And we are asked to keep going. And we are asked 
to figure out how to move forward without burning out, how to keep going with slivers of joy, maybe full cups of joy, maybe bathtubs of connection, pleasure, and at the very least, neutrality. The very least, figuring out how to keep going without becoming completely drained, right? Keep going with compassion and with love and with respect for ourselves and those we love and those we care about, whether we know them or not, whether it's the earth or human beings, which in part leads me to the card I pulled for this week. The card I pulled for this week, I was a little bit surprised. I'm not going to lie. A little bit heartened. Maybe the tarot knew I needed a little bit of care because the card I pulled was the Six of Cups. The Six of Cups, we have rebalancing. That's the theme, right? Rebalancing emotions, rebalancing of giving or receiving, meaning if you've been giving and giving and giving and giving, might be time to do some conscious receiving, some asking for help and receiving or resting. If you have been maybe receiving or resting or holding your breath, it might be time for an exhale and to practice moving forward in more sustainable ways. It could be a real possibility that this is the time to lean into your toolkit so that you can hold yourself and others with a bit more compassion. You know, I think about this idea of relinquishing judgment around our own emotional responses and others' emotional responses when this card comes up. You know, examine what part of yourself needs to receive offerings of love. Is it your child self? Is it your present self? Is it your future self? Make a plan around that. Examine how and where your intuition could be blocked or examine the connection between your emotions and your intuition because they do stem from the same sort of physiological responses sometimes. Think about what parts of your body your intuition is corresponding to or what parts of your body feel tense. What can you give it? There can also be with this card, and I'm bringing this up because the moon is waning this week, there can be a circling around of a past wound or a harmful emotional pattern here. So if you find that happening this week, think about what needs to shift. How can you treat yourself in a way that can facilitate either a letting go or a release, an acceptance, an integration. You know, I'm also bringing this up, like I said, because 
this week is after a full moon. So we know that energy and emotions have been rising. And now we know that we have the opportunity and ability to meet those awakenings or whatever has bubbled up with acceptance or through a different perspective in order to shift or move forward in forgiveness or release or let go things that are no longer serving us. You know, I think a lot about trying to get rid of a few items each day this week, like symbolically. Can you get rid of three items? Can you get rid of five items? Thinking about taking a lot of salt baths. And then also thinking about the time of year this is in this waning moon time, right? So this is a waning moon time of year and we're in a waning moon. This is a time to go within. This is a time to connect to our intuition, to work towards tying up the loose ends of past lives, however that shows up for you metaphorically. And also there is this real correlation of release and shedding and saying goodbye, which of course leads me to the age-old magical adage of magic loves a void. So what that means is in order to welcome in the new or the different, we need to clear out. However that looks like, however that works for you, thinking about what needs to get cleared out, what you need to say goodbye to, what drawers need to get cleared out, how does your schedule need to get cleared out, do you need to say no more or no thank you in order to uh, welcome in more energy or new opportunities. So thinking about that would be really helpful this week. And when in doubt, connect to simple pleasures and also take a moment to give yourself some credit around all of the work you've been doing around healing and vulnerability and widening out of building your heart-led intuitive muscles because this could be a week to look back in order to see how far you've come in one or more aspects of your healing. Okay, my dears, so in this episode, I'm going to answer some questions that came up in my recent Protection Magic workshop. Y'all really liked the little Protection Magic episode I did a few weeks ago, so some of the questions in the workshop I couldn't get to, and I just thought this would be a great opportunity to do that. 
In the workshop, I presented protection magic in a slightly different way than maybe some other traditional practitioners think of it, which is really effective protection magic is as much about charging one's own energy and invoking consistent energetic protection and clearing practices as it is about casting direct traditional kind of spells like bindings or banishings. I really think that, like I said in the episode a few weeks ago, when we are tuned into our intuition, when we have a better sense of what is our energy and what is not, that can sometimes take some of the heavy lifting away from a magical practice. Because I don't know about you, but I do not want to do a binding or a banishing really frequently. That's not really my personal jam. It takes a lot of energy. It can be really intense. It's just not something I look forward to personally in my magical practice. In the workshop, I also discussed cord cutting rituals, clearing and cleansing spells and techniques, road opener spells, and more generic protection spells as alternatives to these more kind of hardcore types of magical workings that one will generally associate with protection magic. Why? Because sometimes all you need is a clearing ritual or a resetting spell. There's less impact, there's less energy used, and it's a little bit easier on the system and your life. So this is what I wanted to say in the workshop that I didn't get a chance to say. I think I did, but I just want to say directly to those of you listening who maybe weren't there, I think we really, really need to practice magic responsibly. Don't use protection magic passive aggressively. What I mean is have a conversation with someone instead of doing a binding spell or instead of banishing your roommate Maybe think about starting a chore wheel or maybe you just have to move out. I'm always, always, always advocating for us to not go nuclear when we don't need to. That's like an all over sort of teaching in my life. Don't go nuclear when you don't have to. Sometimes having a conversation making moves in another direction could solve your problem. Sometimes taking your energy away from someone could solve a problem. Okay, so I just wanted to say that. I don't think that magic is a substitute for taking appropriate actions whenever we have to around having direct conversations or making moves for ourselves, or taking care of ourselves on fundamental levels, right? For me, 
more intense spell work is done kind of as the last, the last sort of try after a lot of other things have been done. And I spoke about that pretty specifically in the workshop as well. So I'm going to get started on bringing up some of the questions that came up and they were all really, really good. So I'm excited to get through them. So the first inquiry says, can you address how to determine the boundaries of perception? How coworkers' reactions activate you, for example, and how this is related to what's outside your spheres of influence, such as racism? So this is a great question. And we spoke a little bit about it in the workshop, and I wanted to present it here again for all of you listeners and just go into it a little bit more. I also want to say, I don't have a clear answer. I hope you're going to mull this over as well, because I think this is a really important question. What I share here is my opinion in this moment. When I'm answering these questions, I can't like do a novel's length reply. A lot of these questions are very complex. If you hear me talking and you're like, why didn't she bring up a grimoire? I don't understand. Or she didn't talk about obsidian or anything like that. You know, we get to have our own opinions and uh, I can't speak to every single last thing. Um, So I just wanted to kind of say that again. I say this all the time, but I wanted to reiterate that. All right. So this is a great question. The sphere of influence in witchcraft, that's what this person is talking about. For those of you who aren't sure what they're talking about, it means what you can control, what you have influence over, and some of the particular circumstances of your present reality. We don't have control over other people, right? We do have control over what we will accept or what we will participate in and how we will do so. And I would argue that that's also a spectrum, right? Depending on the situation, depending on the person. We need to have our particular sphere or spheres of influence clearly defined before working any magic. In our current U.S. culture, we're programmed to believe that the problems of the system are our own personal failings. We are often punished for them. We're blamed for them. Also, shame around them is invoked, right? You all know what I'm talking about. There's the violence of racism, ableism, transphobia, so much more. So I want to reiterate that the racism or homophobia or classism or whatever else that is happening to you as part of that spectrum and system of violence isn't your fault. And this leads me to caveats about magic and the limits of magic and protection magic. 
I said this in the beginning of my workshop, and I believe this goes for all magic, which is that, you know, protection magic can't stop people from being jerks or from aggressions from an unjust and an equitable system. Protection magic can't stop that, right? There are limits always to what's happening with our magic or limits to energy and all of these things, right? I want to also be really clear and point out that magic is real, I believe. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't. Believe me, I'm so practical. (laughs) And magic also can offer us unbelievable and beautiful results. And I would be remiss not to point out that spirituality and magical practice is life-affirming, life-giving, and life-protecting specifically for many historically marginalized and oppressed people's globally, right? There are so many reasons why capitalism, white supremacy, colonization, settlers, imperialism, and on and on have tried or try to erase traditional spiritual practices. And also, I do sometimes see a thread in witchcraft. Maybe it's influenced by new age or capitalism. I'm not really sure. I do a lot of my own research around this and I can't quite pinpoint it. It could just be sort of a byproduct of operating in America. It can lead towards the individual, like being the individual's problem, when really it's more in the realm of systemic. That doesn't mean that the systems can't change because we know systems are changing, even though it's a lot more slowly than we would like. I just want to caution this question asker to not internalize or blame themselves for what is actually a systemic failing. At the end of the day, your energy and your life force is the most important, most precious resource and gift you have. So do what you can to support that. And now back to sort of this particular question, right? The boundaries of perception. Really name and think about what is in your power. What is in your sphere of influence? And after doing this reflection, do you need to make a game plan to leave your position because of aggressions out of your control at your workplace? Are there other folks there that are experiencing harm that you could maybe team up with or collaborate with to figure out a plan around addressing what is happening? Do you need to maybe start recording or collecting receipts, right? Saving certain emails. Do you need to contact a lawyer? Do you need to up your energetic protection and try that first? Do some clearing and maybe ultimately bind the actions of the aggressive person from affecting you and thinking about your reactions and what's going on exactly. Only you can answer that question. Of course, ultimately we have to change the system because what needs to happen is everyone having the same access to safety and abundance. And we can cast spells for that, 
but we also have to take action in other ways as well. And I'm sure all of you listening know that. So just some food for thought. I always sort of feel like not the best for answering questions with more questions, but all of you know that I'm really into helping folks be empowered in themselves and in their magic. And ultimately, the answers, I believe, can be found within you. Okay, next questions. There were questions, there are a bunch of questions around consent, which I found really interesting. In other words, casting spells for other people, which also led me to believe that the folks who signed up for the protection workshop were so considerate and thinking about other people, you know, uh, and wanting to lessen harm or suffering, which I think is really beautiful. And I love that. And also consent. So here are a couple of questions. I'm curious if it's typical to do a a banishing spell for someone else. Like if someone I know is being badly bullied, is a banishing spell appropriate or safe? Another question was, can you do banishing spells for others? In other words, to help get my partner to quit smoking? Okay, consent and magic, right? Such a juicy and complex topic. So I follow the line of thinking just around regular consent in my magical practice. It's super important to think and to talk about consent and accountability within a spiritual and a magical practice. So my thoughts around this, surprise, 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 are complicated. And also they, of course, rely on the situation. First off, where are you in your practice? Have you had personally positive results with this kind of magic? Do you feel comfortable facilitating this kind of magic? Because this kind of magic, as far as I'm concerned within my own practice, takes quite a bit of practice and quite a bit of energy. So can you do this, right? Are you going to take responsibility or acknowledge your part if something changes in the person's life as a result of this spell or magic? That's a big one, friends. Is the person directly asking for your help, right? Are you like, hey, I know a spell for this, right? Or are they like, I know you're a witch. You're really powerful. Will you please help me I'm ready for some help and I'm ready to change and all of these things, right? Have they tried other options other than magic, which goes back to number one, like practice magic responsibly. Did it need to be a conversation first instead of a spell? Is the person also willing to make changes in their own energy and their own behavior? Maybe you need to offer them support around a clearing or a cleansing ritual first, right? Uh, In the case of the person's partner wanting to quit smoking, have they expressed desire and willingness to quit, right? Because your spell isn't going to be as effective if they aren't on board or if they don't already have their will and their motivations and a plan around quitting. 
Consent is so important to think about with magic for other people. In general, I'll just say for myself, usually I'll only offer when it's a really good friend asking me directly and they've given me a clear picture of the situation and their actions. And in general, as I've spoken about in the workshop, we'll do other less intense protection magic techniques like a cord cutting ritual, like a clearing ritual, good old fashioned road opening and resetting spells are really good. Just trying that first, right? The other thing I wanted to point out is there are also a ton of practitioners who do energy clearing and cord cuttings and those kinds of spells as their jobs. Do you need to seek one out either for yourself or direct your friend to a very experienced practitioner? That's another option as well. Next question. Can you use protection magic against yourself when you're being your own worst critic? I love this question. What a great question. Again, complicated. Again, a couple different answers as far as I'm concerned. There are some practitioners, myself included, that consider repeating thoughts or a belief system as being a specifically charged energy that is sometimes referred to as a thought form. So yes, you can do a banishing spell around a specific thought form or behavior. You've come up with a plan that involves certain behavioral changes about what you'll be doing to move that energy in your day-to-day. You've committed to doing that. You've identified what you'll be doing different and how you're going to move through the pattern, right? You've created your toolkit about how you're going to get through the urges or when you feel called to say, be your own worst critic, you know, you figured it all out. Then you do a banishing spell for the behavior or belief you never want to come back again that you're ready to detach yourself from or cut cords from, right? Again, it could be a cord cutting ritual. In the workshop, I spoke about checking in to see whether or not you need to do shadow work instead of conducting a more harsh binding or banishing spell. For the record, in the class, I spoke about how in my practice personally, I don't hex, although I respect practices that do, but it's not in my practice. And also how to conduct bindings and banishings along those lines, where you're just binding or banishing the behavior specifically or the energy specifically. So again, reflect. Would it be more gentle to do some shadow work around this persistent issue? maybe alongside a therapist or group work or accountability buddy. Maybe you promise yourself you'll do some work around this issue for like, let's just say three to four weeks. Then after that, 
you'll try banishing. Think of rebalancing actions you can try when you catch yourself in those critical moments of, in this person's case, being your own worst critic, right? Maybe you try to do a little dance for two minutes, shake your body. Maybe you repeat some affirmations. Maybe you identify who is really talking because it's probably not you. And you say, hey, you, you be quiet. Don't talk to my best friend like that. Maybe you put a timer on your phone for two minutes, and for those two minutes, you distract yourself in some way, or you write down all that you are grateful for today. I say this with so much empathy as a former negative self-talker. I didn't do a banishing spell for that. I changed my pattern by identifying the root, figuring out what emotions came with that, identifying where in my body it lived, thinking about what aspect of myself or my identity I needed to let go of, right, that it was attached to, and figuring out ways to dissipate the physiological feeling and ultimately detach from it. As always, your experience might vary. And as always, I'm not addressing mental health issues such as OCD or other things that might need a different level of support, right? I want to be really clear about that. I'm talking about patterns that we have that we feel equipped and empowered to try shifting, right? So if you need more help, I always urge you to seek out more support from a trained professional around that. Okay, my dears, last question. Thank you so much for this program. It was and is deeply meaningful and useful to me. As a Jewish artist and woman, I'm really curious to learn more about how to work with or how one could work with the Star of David, Tree of Life, and Sun Amulets in Uncrossing Spells. Could you please address this question in your podcast? So to give a little bit of backstory, this question refers to some of the visuals I had in my slides that accompanied the talk. And I like it because it allows me to touch upon correspondences for a moment. My viewpoint is that correspondences that one use, i.e. symbols, magical charge symbols that help us in our energetic and spiritual and magical working, they must feel significant and resonant for you. I always ask folks to take the time to slowly develop your bank of correspondences. That's herbs, colors, stones, elements. Some practitioners use scents, right? Like certain floral scents or smoky scents or other symbols that strongly call and resonate with you around specific uses. I am also going to go a step further and suggest you investigate items from either your specific cultural backgrounds, your specific location, and or both. 
if a spell calls for, say, rosemary, and you personally don't have a special bond with that herb, then don't use it, right? Find something that does feel resonant, something that you already have a relationship with or that feel good to you. The other reason why I really love working with place is that it potentially could be items that you both can have contact with consistently, like say it's dandelions that are growing out of the sidewalk, or it's a bunch of a particular kind of bird that you see very often in your neighborhood. So it's easy to have a connection with on a day-to-day basis. It's easy to work with those symbols as synchronicities that show up for you maybe after you've done a spell and you can kind of see that to affirm your subconscious in a positive direction. And they're easy to access, right? You don't need to maybe go foraging for dandelions or um, hunt after some obscure like dragon's blood resin off the internet, you can just access, you can maybe take a couple of sprigs of basil from your windowsill garden or something like that, right? I'm also a really big fan, and I don't think I'm going to get into it now. I'm a really big fan of working with correspondences, not tangibly, meaning like working with the color blue as a meditation, or as an essence, maybe you have an altar cloth that is blue, but maybe you're just envisioning it in your mind or resonating with the feeling of it. I spoke um, a bit about programming our energetic field with color, right? Maybe you're feeling like you need to take in and drink in a clear blue. You don't need to work with an item of that color. You don't need to work with a crystal of that color you can just envision it. And you can do the same for tangible objects, right? You can envision a certain herb um, or envision symbols of protection like a shield or rose bushes and on and on and on, right? So just thinking about that with your imagination. So the specific symbols that the person asked about like were shown as an example of cultural backgrounds and just symbols that I resonate with. So uh, the star, also known as the shield of King David, is this reference of being protected by God. It's a very old symbol. And I also sometimes think that working with very old symbols that so many people have worked with, whether it's the evil eye or you know traditionally yarrow and rosemary and tourmaline have been used as protective devices. I believe that that sort of mm, collective sort of agreement, so to speak, around certain items kind of add to the power of it. Um, That's just what I feel. It's, It's a very easily accessible, charged cultural symbol. And of course, I'm Jewish, so I showed a couple of things from my heritage. So the Star of David is a pretty uh, like cross-culturally also used symbol. It's also known as the Seal of Solomon. It's used by uh, people who study the Kabbalah 
And there's also this reference to a kind of pentacle, right? So this is a super old symbol and it has a lot of different meanings, but frequent ones are protection and power. So that just makes sense for me, right? Feels good, makes sense. It's an item that I can work with. Another, I love, uh, I love actually that this person asked this question because I can answer it in a number of different ways. The other one was the tree of life. It's another, that's another symbol from traditionally the Kabbalah. The tree of life is this example of an energy charging symbol. When I teach on the subject of protection magic, I share it's important to have energetic charging practices and energetic charging symbols. Doing things that make you feel replenished or good, things that remind you of yourself when you feel secure and empowered. And the tree of life symbol is an example of this. For me personally, it speaks to aligned energy. It speaks to flow and it acts as this positive talisman for my practice as someone who studies Jewish mysticism, right? Um, It's very powerful, right? And which leads me to the sun, which is universal, universal. The sun has a ton of different connotations all over the globe, of course, but as a protection symbol, It's a real buy one, get one, right? It's a lot of different things. It cleanses, it clears, it burns away stagnant energy. It also facilitates illumination, right? We can see clearly when the light of the sun is shining on us, on the situation. It also bolsters growth and rebirth, right? So it's this real regenerative object and you will find many rituals and exercises all over the place in spiritual and magical traditions of using the sun as a clearing and cleansing device. People will do meditations where they move through the sun or there'll be sun-like energy, uh, orbs that move all through their body and cleanse and clear them. Of course, there's just the simple scientific data of exposing yourself to vitamin D. It combats depression uh, when we do it responsibly with sunscreen for a little bit each day. And on and on and on, the connotations for the sun, right? It helps things grow. Uh, All over the globe, people have worshiped the sun. Um, You know, it's thought to be the center of our universe, you know, on and on and on, the sun has this power. And because it has this power, it offers and affords us protection and cleansing. So those were some of the symbols I brought up. Obviously, how someone is going to work with certain symbols and correspondences is up to them and their practice, and it's deeply personal. So I just want to say, if you're feeling overwhelmed right now, and not sure where to start, I just keep it really simple, you know? Like look up common symbols, tools, or colors in your background or that are around you and what feels resonant, you know? Work with them, build relationships with them, make them offerings. We don't need this like super huge encyclopedia sized bank of like a hundred different items, right? Um, We just really need a few for each of the kinds of magic that we're doing. And like, again, I want to say this again and again, like you can need very little. You can just work with the elements, 
the elements in protection magic, wind, water, earth, and fire are incredibly powerful. And in general, they're free 99, right? Uh, I mean, they're like the price of a shower, <laughs> um, you know, the the time spent finding nature to be in uh, or grounding, uh, you know, going outside and breathing in the wind or meditating on the sky and striking a match and having a candle, right? So maybe you start there. Maybe you just want to start with investigating the qualities of the elements. Yeah. So the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about on this tip I wanted to share is tarot archetypes, right? We can totally work with tarot archetypes as well. And of course, the no-brainer for me when thinking about protection magic archetypes and the tarot is I always of course, just go to the queens. For me, the queens are part and parcel with protection magic because all of the queens are the queens of boundaries. I also, of course, can't think about the queens without thinking of the empress, which in my practice, the empress is the queen of the queens. So you might just want to go straight to the empress and meditate and work with the empress. But the queens are really interesting when we think about the elements because each of the queens has double elements as their domain, which you can kind of play around with. And each of the queens utilizes different forms of protection magic in order to help them and bolster their energy. You know, like the, I think of in a weird way, just bear with me, I'm riffing now. In a weird way, I think of the queen of cups and the queen of swords as being really beneficial to us in clearing the queen of cups being water. She's generally thought of as being, um, double water and that's salt baths, right? That's a shower scrub that you do. That's drinking lots of water. That's tears as a cleansing device. And through that comes her heart through that comes her very strong intuition and knowing the queen of swords is that snip snip. She's all about that cutting, cord cutting, energetic clearing. She's also, of course, as we all know, a really strong advocate for clear communication, saying what she needs, saying what her boundaries are, being really clear about that with herself and with other people. Uh, again, I'm just riffing right here. Uh, this is just occurring to me now. But then we have the Queen of Wands and the Queen of Pentacles as being more of that energetic charging, like, you know, stepping into our own energy and growing that and having it become more abundant. The Queen of Wands being water and fire, being this queen that really resonates with taking action and magic, right? Sometimes people call the queen of wands, the queen of witches. And also she really resonates with pleasure. She's really resonating with prioritizing what makes her feel good and what makes her heart feel good. Of course, I also think of the black cat as being her little boundary friend in the traditional Rider-Waite-Coleman-Smith decks. And then of course, the queen of 
pentacles as resonating with abundance and what we need more of in order to keep our energy vibrant and healthy and magnetized. And for some of us, that's more time. For some of us, that's more support. For some of us, it could be more contentment um, in our everyday life or in our uh, calling or in how we take care of our body because pentacles very much resonates with the earthly realm. So thinking about protecting our body or feeling safe and secure in our body. Uh, so thinking about working with the queens, uh, especially if you really resonate with them, uh, someone who enjoys the tarot, you know, think about that. A few other cards that came up for me in the in the workshop, I had like 12 that I just rattled off, but I wanted to just go into a couple more that occurred to me today. And uh, one is the threes. And I know folks probably are like, I don't get it. The threes? Aren't the threes about magnetism and about creation? Yeah. And also they're about collaboration. They're about calling and help. They're about working with others. They're about community. They're about building something more through commingling, through conversation. So I think about calling in help, whatever that looks like, whether it's help from a friend or help from an angel or help from your wisest self or help from a symbol or correspondence or something like that. Um, I also think about this willingness to receive with the threes as well. This willingness to look at what wants to come in to help support us and help make our energy flourish and blossom and bloom. Because for me, three is that blossoming, expansive, energized, impassioned energy that happens when we are in collaboration or conversation with others, however that looks like for us. And then, of course, I said for us, so I'm going to say the fours. The fours really traditionally can lend themselves to boundaries, right? And we need to have boundaries. Boundary work is such a big part of our protection magic work. And the different fours can kind of help us figure out what we need to be in aligned relationship with in order to be boundaried. And, of course, I would be remiss to not mention the emperor again, because I think a lot about the major arcanas as corresponding to the minor arcanas. And so the emperor is like the combination of all of the elemental fours. So we have this real, um, we have boundaries in the emperor as being made as much about what we do want and moving our energy and our awareness there I would say more of what we do want and more of our energy in our awareness place there as much as what we don't or what is causing us anxiety or tension. So you might want to work with those archetypes when you are thinking about protection magic. You know, I think a lot about the swords with cord cutting. I think a lot about the cups with cleansing and clearing. I think about the pentacles with embodiment kinds of things. And I think about the wands with moving forward, breaking patterns, taking um, 
you know, this other cleansing, this when we burn things, right? That's a clearing and a cleansing ultimately, um, even though it might be a bit destructive. Other cards that came to mind, of course, are the chariot, the strength card was one, um, and also the world card came up for me as well. Uh, as I was just thinking about different cards that correlate with protection magic. I'm not going to call out individual cards because now I'm starting to like think of the whole deck in my mind. And uh, in case you haven't realized, I can talk about tarot for a long time. So I'm going to leave it at that. But I, I would ask you like over the next week or couple of weeks, go through your deck pull out a couple of the cards that resonate with protection magic and then really name what it is about that card or that archetype that can help you and then begin embodying that and meditating with that and speaking with the card and listening to what comes up and journaling and putting the card on your altar and just thinking about the card in your mind and thinking about how its essence its energy and the archetype of the card can help you stay more protected, more energized, and more aligned. Okay, my dears, I think that was more than enough about some more protection magic stuff for you to think about. I am wishing you a healthy, happy, and protected week. Until next week. You are listening to Moonbeaming, a podcast that is presented by Modern Women. I'm your host, Sarah Faith Godestiner. The editor is Caitlin George Parker. Music is by Will Owen and myself. If you like what you hear or it's giving you benefit, I would love it if you would rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. I'd love it even more if you told a friend or two. All right, bye. Witches on the app.